fuck, how do podcasts start? Um, sorry, I'm super disorganized today. I don't know what my deal is. It's okay. We'll take it out of your pay. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve it. Hello, welcome to Brainworms, the world's only podcast recorded by a sentient mass of meat and hair with three unique screaming minds. Um, I hope you enjoyed Eye of Argon, because we're finishing that today. Have fun listening to more Eye of Argon content. We we briefly talked about Jim Vice last time and his kind of narrative and his history. I dug a little deeper into that. Um, and apparently, unfortunately, he did not continue writing fiction, although he did pursue a degree in journalism, uh, potentially because of the reception of Eye of Argon. Um, he, he apparently was was somewhat hurt by the reception. That's a shame. It speaks to the whole question of, uh, you know, at what cost fame sort of thing. Like, is is all exposure good exposure? Sure. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, although apparently at least into the 90s, he had kind of gotten some perspective uh, because I'm going to read a quote from Wikipedia here. Uh, he was he, in an interview in 94. He said, how many professional writers have written a complete story at so early an age? Even so, I have Argon isn't great. I basically don't know much about structure or composition. Um, and apparently the interviewer praised him for being a good sport. And he replied, well, I mean, it was easier than showing bad character and asking for trouble. <laughs> so apparently at least into the nineties, he kind of figured he kind of got around it. Um, and unfortunately Jim did pass in 2002 of a uh, heart condition, I believe. Also this uh, interesting perspective here between Jim Thice and Norman Botan. Uh, Norman wrote a massive, massive work of, questionable uh, that's a very yeah. that's a very decent way of putting it and uh you know on the other hand you've got jim thice who wrote this one story when he was a child mm -hmm. and you know, norman Bhutan was a full-grown adult um and acts frankly like a child in his defense of the work on the internet, mm -hmm. you know, completely unwilling to accept any criticism. And I, I can understand that again, you know, you, you get kind of interested in something, you, you yeah. become tied into it on sure. a personal level. It's, it's your baby. And it seems like Norman was very invested in Empress Teresa. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was, there was way more going on there than just like I want to write a book. This was mm -hmm. gonna be like the magnum opus of humanity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he would, he would have <laughs> carved that book into stone if he could. And uh, I don't know. Maybe there's another message out there for any aspiring creatives. You know, it, it, it's been said before by better than me, but you know, kill your babies. Mm -hmm. Got to be willing to kill your darlings. Like if it's and terrible. It's got to go. Right. And honestly, I think the contrast between Jim and Norman can kind of teach us something in that, that Norman wrote Empress Teresa, got criticism, went, no, fuck you. This is the best thing ever. And just pushed and pushed and pushed. 
Um, Jim at a very young age wrote, you know, not a great story, but a competent story. Mm -hmm. Got some, got comparable criticism and went, Oh, I guess I'm a bad writer. I'm never going to write again. Um, although I would be interested in what he did with his, his journalism career. There's not a lot of information out there about that. Right. Um, so yeah, if you're a, if you're a creative, like find that balance between take like in terms of the value of criticism. Also, um, in terms of killing your babies, imagine it that it's like a Lovecraftian God and you have to sacrifice your children to it to appease it and get better ones. That's actually a really uh, delightful little metaphor for the creative <laughs> process. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of the gist. You know, Norman wrote this book at a very young age, got it into a fan. Norman? Fucking Norman. God, Freud. <laughs> have a conversation. <laughs> Um, Jim, that, Jesus Christ. Um, you know, he got it in his little fanzine and it exploded in all the wrong ways. And he kind of just gave up and went, eh, I guess I'll just go and get a journalism degree and disappear. But still being talked about. Yeah. You know, what, what have I created at 16 that anyone still cares about? Um, I mean, I created some messes that my parents still talk about, but that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> Any uh, interesting brief stories there? Oh, Perhaps not really. some I insight just, into David? I, I just was and always have been a sort of clutter bomb. Mm -hmm. my, my personal spaces tend to just pile up in giant, messy, unorganized even I don't know where anything is kind of messes. Yeah, I struggle and, with that too. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, I can look over to the left. Um, I have perfectly good, like, drawers and cabinets and, and all this stuff in my room. And I put none of my clothes in there. I, 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 I have very specific piles for where all these clothes go. So it's, it's very well organized. And I know where everything is, but it's just out. It's so mm -hmm. I like, I like being able to see it all when I'm, when I'm getting dressed. <laughs> You're like a dragon. A clothes <laughs> dragon. Um, so yeah. Um, well, that was some preamble. Um, do we want to, do we want to do a name what? introduction? Cause we missed that too. Oh yeah, we did. We're, I'm bad at podcasts. How do you podcast? <laughs> um, we, we got, I got so taken by that tangent. Um, yeah, I'm Joe. I'm David. And I'm Chris. And yep, um, again, that was a pretty lengthy preamble. Um, but if you enjoyed any of this, um, you know, we're on the social media. We're on the YouTube. And if you want to give us some money, hit up that Patreon. Patreon.com slash brainwormspodcast. And uh, support the show. We, you know, we're, we we keep bouncing around fun ideas for bonuses and benefits. So, see what's going on over there. You ready, David? I'm ready. Let's ready as in. I'm ever gonna be, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter five. Up to the altar and be done with it, wench ordered a fidgeting shaman as he gave the female a grim stare accompanied by the wrinkling of his lips to a mirthful hey, grin man. of delight. I was just thinking that. Every time. <laughs> the girl 
burst into a slow, steady whimper, stooping shakily to her knees and cringing woefully from the priest with both arms wound snake-like around the bulging jade-jade shin rising before her scantily attired figure. Stop. How do you burst slowly? Um, I don't like a flower, I guess. Um, guess that's bursting. That's a weird. Um, again, we need to revoke Jim Thice's adverb license because he's <laughs> he's used his allotment. <laughs> Calm down. You made your point. Her face was redly inflamed from the salty flow of tears. That is what information is. Dilated eyeballs. He was hotly on fire. With short, heavy footfalls, the priest approached the female, his piercing stare never wavering from her quivering young countenance. Halting before the terrified girl, he projected his arm outward and motioned her to arise with an upward movement of his hand. The girl's whimpering increased slightly, and she sunk closer to the floor rather than arising. This is pretty gross, what's happening right now. The flickering torches outlined her trim build with a weird ornate glow as it cast a ghostly shadow dancing in horrid waves of splendor over smoothly worn whiteness of the marble yoon altar. The shaman's lips curled back farther, exposing a set of blackened, decaying molars which transformed his slovenly grin into a wide, greasy arc of sadistic mirth and alternately interposed into the female a strong sensation of stomach-curdling nausea. Have it as you will, female. The- <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Jesus wept. God fucking damn it. Female. <laughs> Have it as you will, female, gloated the enhanced priest as he what? bent over Is at he the waist. <laughs> <laughs> Projecting his ape-like arms forward and clasped the feet, his ape-like arms. Ape-like, okay. Yeah. I thought the stereotype of priests was that they were, like, like slim and frail, but, like, apes have, like, they're I think in the, in the world of, of Grignir of discordia or whatever the fuck everyone is a bodybuilder except for, <laughs> unless they're fat unless they're female or they're females they're, they're just muscle also remember out. this is an enhanced priest oh yeah i, I don't i don't know <laughs> what that means 2. But... <laughs> he clicked on the barbarian equivalent of uh, i did sit up for 30 days look what happened next <laughs> fucking one punch man mm. Have it as you will, female, gloated the enhanced priest as he bent over at the waist, projecting his ape-like arms forward, and clasped the female's slender arms with his hairy, round fists. With an inward surge of his biceps, he harshly jerked the trembling girl to her feet and smothered her salty, wet cheeks with the moldy touch of his decrepit, dull-red lips. That might be the first time that he's described a woman as anything other than female. Yeah, or wench. Right, right. Like, trembling girl, at least. For a guy who loves his adjectives and adverbs, you'd think, you know, there there are nouns other than female. 
vile stench of the shaman's hot, fetid breath overcame the nauseated female with the deep, soul-searing sickness, causing her to wrench her head backwards and regurgitate a slimy, orange-white stream of swelling gore over the richly woven purple robe of the enthused acolyte. Gore? She literally puked her guts up? Apparently. And, like, maybe I'm just getting minor Stockholm Syndrome, or maybe I'm just kind of getting used to the language of the, of Jim Thice. Some of these descriptions, if he had any kind of restraint, would have been kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, uh, if, if, yeah. If, if these bursts of adverbs were interspersed... Yeah, and it wasn't just every action. You know, he he lustily reached and groped for the greasy, swelling hamburger. Like you just you can you can calm down. You can describe a thing as itself, and then when you really describe the thing, then it becomes very interesting. Save the powerful language for a powerful point. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, I, I said this last episode, but uh, you know the the key word for all of this is lurid. Mm-hmm. Um, and purple. Yeah, it's 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 so purple that it's ultraviolet. Yeah, but I do think like it kind of sucks that he he stopped writing fiction after this because if he had just gotten some constructive criticism, I think he maybe could have written some stuff in, later in life. Oh yeah. Uh, well, like worst case scenario, let's let's pretend that Feist never improved. I would have like like if he had more books that were just more of this, but like different settings, different stories. I would say, hey, heck, let's keep reading them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, like Jim Thice in the age of the internet, writing this sort of thing as you know Conan fan fiction or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this guy would have gotten shit on when he was, you know, 16 publishing this on the internet, but maybe he would have taken some of that criticism into consideration, gotten, you know, a little better at doing what he did mm-hmm. um, with some positive feedback and just time. Practice. He, he, yeah, practice and getting better at his art. He There's genuinely a, a decent amount of admittedly over descriptive prose but you know if for a certain style of literature this could work really well right um, bottom and, line hmm? you can tell that like when feis is typing this down like he he sees all of this in his yeah. head like he, he has he, vivid, yeah yeah he has a very vivid imagination yeah so <laughs> i and not a like that and that's a pretty rare quality you know for for writing like that, i think that's one of the essentials and again like we don't know what he did with his journalism degree we should probably get back on track soon um <laughs> I kind of hope he went into something like symbolism where, where these very, these vivid descriptions would really be rewarded. You say sports journalism. Yeah. 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 yeah that'd be great. Um, um, I don't know. We may find out. <laughs> um, I did an amount of research and couldn't find anything, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he just worked in a pool and never had his name on a tagline or a byline right. or anything. Yeah. At any rate, (laughs) the priest's lips trembled with a malicious rage as he removed his callous paws from the girl's arms and replaced them with tightly around her undulating neck, shaking her violently to and fro. Is there any rage that isn't malicious? (laughs) I mean, there's righteous rage, right? 
that that still has malice to it. Yeah, I mean, I I assume when you're raging, you probably are out to cause some form of harm. I didn't mean for that to turn into like a commentary. I just wanted it to be like a quick little quip. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what we're here for. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where was I? Oh, God. The girl gasped a tortured groan from her clamped lungs, her sea-blue eyes bulging forth from damp sockets. Cocking her right foot backwards, she leashed it desperately outwards with the strength of a demon-possessed, lodging her sandaled foot squarely between the shaman's testicles. Between them? <laughs> between them, yeah. Um. So she just hit the perineum. <laughs> <laughs> and like... Some skin in between, I guess. I don't know, man. Her aim taint bad. <laughs> the startled priest released his crushing grip, crimping his body over at the waist, overlooking his recessed belly, wide open in a deep chasm. His face flushed to a rose-red shade of crimson, eyelids fluttering wide with eyeballs protruding blindly outwards from their sockets to their outmost perimeters while his lips quivered wildly about allowing an agonized wallow to gust forth as his breath billowed from burning lungs. His hands... That's a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> this is really... like I, I really don't know if I should pre-read things, but this shit's hard to... This is really hard to cold read. <laughs> oh, yeah. like we, we even commented last episode, like the fact that you're you're reading this as coherently as you are is impressive. <laughs> His hands reached out to clutching his urinary gland as his knees wobbled rapidly about for a few seconds, then buckled. Is he, <laughs> is he, is he Hank? My narrow urethra. <laughs> Causing the ruptured shaman to collapse in an egg-huddled mass to the granite pavement, rolling helplessly about in his agony. The pathetic screeches of the shaman groveling in dejected misery upon the hand-hewn granite-laid pavement, worn smooth by countless hours of arduous sweat and toil, a welter of ichor oozing through his clenched hands. Wow. Like, what this, is a, this is a lot of language <sighs> dedicated to this guy got kicked in the nuts and he and, fell over. Yeah. Like, apparently real fucking hard. Because like there's a welter coming of out of him, anchor. yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's really into it, and you know, like that that got him off. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm confused because like, did he get stabbed at some point, and we just missed it in all of the words? No, but like, why do his balls have ichor? <laughs> I don't know. I'm don't kind know. of surprised that he isn't a eunuch. Yeah. Well, no, he's an enhanced priest. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's what it means. He's an enhanced priest. He has four testicles, and she kicked him in between the four oh, testicles. That Makes it. Yeah. sense. Okay, mystery solved. Cool. <laughs> that's canon now. Attracted the perturbed attention of his comrades from their fetid ovulations. The actions of this this rebellious wench bespoke the credence of an unheard of sacrilege. Never before in a lost maze of untold eons had a chosen one dared to demonstrate such blasphemy in the face of the cult's idolic deity. That actually is a good sentence. Yeah, I, I, holds up. Yeah. 
The girl cowered in unreasoning terror, helpless in the face of the emblazoned acolyte's rage. Her orchid-tussled face smothered betwixt her bulging bosom as she shut her curled lashed tightly, hoping Wait. to... Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so like, like, she got scared, and and like a, like, like a mutant ostrich, she dug her head between her breasts. Yeah, she's burying her face in her own tits right now. That's that's what um, I'm getting. I mean, I or they're just that math, which you know, under the circumstances, maybe is what we're we're seeing. Well, there there there's a like when it comes to boob physics, there's like a weight to sag ratio. This would be an untold of level of perkiness. I mean, this, like, this, is, this was the direct ancestor of anime. This is someone from Dolly Parton's lineage. Ah. Now you're just making me think of, of like, breast of Mancy. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> her orchid-tussled face smothered betwixt her bulging bosom as she shut her curled lash tightly, hoping to open them and find herself awakening from a morbid nightmare. Yet the hand of destiny decreed her no such mercy. The antagonized pack of leering shaman converging tensely upon her prostrate form were entangled all too lividly in the grim web of reality. What? Um, yeah, she's still there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still kind of having the problem we had last episode where, like, there are so many words, and maybe it's because I'm hearing it and not reading it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's hard it's, for me to actually pull information out of. Yeah, it's it it's it's hard to parse. It's real easy to get lost in this yeah. wilderness. The uh, the signal to noise ratio is way mm. off here. Um, I'm still thinking about the her seething milkers or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> At least she only and... has two of them. Like unlike that one bar mutant <laughs> <laughs> with with her back breasts. Yes. Shuddering from the clammy touch of the shaman as they grappled with her supple form, hands wrenching at her slender arms and legs in all directions, her bare body being molested in the midst of a labyrinth of orange smudges, purpled satin, and mangled skulls, shadowed in an eerie crimson glow. Her confused head reeled, then clouded in a mist of enshrouding ebony as she lapsed beneath the protective sheet of unconsciousness to a land peach and resign. Chapter 6 Take hold of this rope, said the first soldier. Climb out from your pit, slut. Your presence is requested in another far deeper hellhole. This is, this is a very verbose guard. Yeah, he's got a lot to say. Grigner slipped his right hand to his thigh, concealing a small, opaque object beneath the folds of the G-string wrapped about his waist. Alright. <laughs> He's a Chippendale dancer. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm not mad at him. Like, I, I, I like that, like, um, this writer is really good at finding ways to describe everything he sees. Putting, like, the scent leather thong, like, you just know it's a G-string, it's fine. <laughs> yep. 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 Although I will take uh, take a moment to say that this is the second time he's used the word opaque mm -hmm. in a completely unappropriate yeah. manner. Like most objects are opaque. Yeah, unless they're like, transparent. It's fine. 
Like it, it, we don't need to know if it's opaque. That's fine. It's it's an object. But although I do like that the antagonists continue to refer to Grignir as slut. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Brian Wells swelled in Grigner's cold, jade-squinting eyes, which, grown accustomed to the gloom of the Stygian pools of ebony engulfing him, were bedazzled and blinded by flickering radiance cast forth by the second soldier's resin torch. Tightly gripped in the second soldier's right hand, opposite the intermittent torch, was a large, double-edged axe long leather-wound oaken-handled transfixing the center of the weapon's iron head. Adorning the torsos of both of the sentries were thin yet sturdy hauberks, the breastplates of which were woven of tightly hemmed twines of reinforced silver braiding. That's what a hauberk is. <laughs> so far we've learned in almost an entire paragraph that there are two guards <laughs> with axes and armor. Cupping the soldiers' feet were thick leather sandals wound about their shins about their shoes. to two inches below <laughs> their knees. Wrapped about their waists were wide satin girdles, with slender bladed poniards dangling loosely from them, the hilts of which featured scarlet-encrusted gems. No, Joe, it's important they, that Feist talks about their shoes. Otherwise, I would have just assumed that they were wearing thigh-high BDSM high heels. Kind of like that better. Yeah, yeah. It would really pull out the uh, the tightly hemmed twines of reinforced silver braiding on their breastplates. Yeah, <laughs> it's a classy fashion combination. Resting upon the manes of their heads and reaching midway to their brows were smooth copper morions. Spiraling the lower portion of the helmet were short, upcurved silver spikes, while a golden hump spired from the top of each bassinet. Beneath their chins, wound around their necks, and draping their clad shoulders dangled regal purple satin cloaks, which flowed midway to the soldiers' feet. Hand over hand, feet braced against the dank walls of the enclosure, huge Grignir ascended from the moldering depths of the forlorn abyss. So in this new paragraph, we learned that they have helmets and, and shoes. Yeah, we, we learned in that entire paragraph that they were dressed. Yeah. <laughs> and every detail of what they were wearing, which is, you know, useful, I guess, for, you know, imagining the guards, but also probably better to be dispersed throughout the, the, the telling mm -hmm. rather than just one giant info dump. It's... Right. Or just, yeah. just say that they're armed and armored. And let the audience just kind of paint their own picture. It's fine. Sure. I mean, I, I will say, like, I, I guess he did a great job of building this image of sort of Roman legionnaire style, but without saying they were Roman legionnaires. Mm -hmm. Like, that, kudos. Yeah. Also, way to know the names of ancient armors and arms. It's true. And this was before, before you could just Google stuff. Yeah. yeah. Or and before D&D, &D, fair point. Yeah. <laughs> Although he may have just been using words he read in other fantasy novels. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. I, I find that sort of thing. Uh, question. Uh, I'll, um, if you don't mind me making a quick uh, oh, please do. tangent, um, I find that thing kind of questionable because um, 
like when you say Morian, like you know, you're getting your point across, so on and so forth. Um, however, what if someone doesn't know what a Morian yeah. is? Yeah, who does know what a Morian is? Like people don't know that word. Unless they play a lot of D D or read a lot of fantasy novels or are yeah, hardcore which, history buffs. This this book was published three years before D D came out, so Yeah. And also, you know, he was obviously playing to his audience here. Like Right, yeah, he published this in a in a fan publication for a so, sci fi. So in uh, your guys' opinion in your guys' opinion, in terms of best practice, would you guys say it's better to be official and and clear and say, like, and, you know, and say the name of the helmet or just call it a helmet and briefly call describe it, it? Call it a helmet and briefly describe it. Yeah, um, you could, I mean, what, what I think I would do um, typically would be something along the lines of, you know, you... You might say helmet, first of all, and then briefly describe the image of it. And then later, you could, you know, use the proper noun or the proper name for it while, mm. all, you know, to, to kind of share that knowledge and to not have to completely describe the whole thing again. Right. And in that way, your reader also learns a thing. It's true. Yeah, just a thought. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Hand over hand, feet braced against the dank walls of the enclosure, huge Grignir ascended from the moldering depths Grignir of the forlorn abyss. Not as big as Jake. Not as big as Jake. Jake and Grignir, man, that's the team up we need. <laughs> Who would win in a fight, Jake or Grignir? Answer in the comments. <laughs> His swelled limbs, stiff due to the boredom of a timeless inactivity, compounded by the musty atmosphere. Atmosphere. That's the word on the page. Atmosphere. Okay. Compounded by the musty atmosphere and jagged granite protuberant against his body, craved for action. The opportunity now presenting itself served the purpose of oiling his rusty joints and honing it's, his dulled senses. It's, it was like a portmanteau between atmosphere and moisture. Yeah. Yeah. If it were on purpose, that would be kind of a clever thing. Yeah. Also, if it weren't the only example of that in the entire... <laughs> <laughs> he braced himself, facing the second soldier. The sentry's stature was, was wildly exaggerated in the glare of the flickering crescent cupex in his right fist. His eyes were wide open in a slightly slanted owlish glaze. Wide open in a slightly slanted... What? That's not... What? Yeah, I'm confused, too. Um, I mean, I guess, like, epicanthic folds, you know, slightly mm -hmm. oriental, eye shape, um, Middle Eastern-ish, sure. I'm not sure. I um, don't care if, it, if it's accurate. Like, it just doesn't really parse well. Yeah, yeah. Ah, his eyes were wide open in a slightly slanted, owlish glaze, enhanced in their sinister intensity by the hawk-bill curve of his nose and pale yellow peak of his cheeks. Why are we still describing Grignir? He's the protagonist. We've met him. Oh no, this is the sentry. Oh, oh, okay. That who, makes more sense. Who must, must be important characters by, you know, how much... 
time they're getting. I got so hung up in all the adjectives and adverbs, I didn't realize we weren't describing the main character still. That's no. my mistake. No, this is uh, this is describing the sentry. Okay. Um, Who's probably going to die in like yeah, the in next like scene. The next paragraph and a half, I'm sure. Yeah. Place your hands behind your back, said the second soldier as he raised his axe over his right shoulder blade and cast it a wavering glance. We must bind your wrists to parry any attempts to escape. Be sure to make the knot a stout one, Broig. Wouldn't want our guests to take leave of our guidance. It's like this is the first time they've done this. Yeah. Broig grasped Grigner's left wrist and reached for the barbarian's right wrist. Grigner wrenched his right arm free and swiveled to face Broig, reach beneath his loincloth with his right hand. The sentry <laughs> grappled at out his, his wiener. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm um, such a child. No, you're, you're fine. I'm, I'm actually more concerned by the fact that he has a G-string and a loincloth. Yeah, there's I'm a lot of not put much that going together. on down there. Yeah. And, and like, I feel like if you have one, you don't need the other to some extent. I mean, he's got the, the like, basically he's got himself a little thong mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Some, uh, some draperies. That it's... way he keeps everything nice and tight and collected so it's not just bouncing around while he's killing folks. Sure, sure. But, you know, he doesn't want to be indecent, so there's just I... a panel. That makes sense. Yeah, that, and then maybe, like, the wind will blow, and it's like, it's a tease. Like, oh, what's going on under there? Grigner yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wrenched his right arm free and swilveled to face Broig, reach beneath his loincloth with his right hand. The sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheathed dagger. There's no, uh, no undercurrent of anything there. Yeah. The sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheathed um, dagger. To the credit of Jim Price, and again, this this just goes back to like Robert E. Howard, but at least the fan service goes both ways. True. True. Yeah. I, I kind of appreciate that. Although there's also the argument, and we, you know, not to get too distracted here, but the argument that's made in, uh, comic book art a lot of times about how oh, female yeah. characters are drawn Who's it for right yeah yeah it's 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 for the male gaze like right. you're creating this massive muscle-bound hawk of a man who isn't actually something that most women would find attractive sure it's an idealized form of male power masculinity yep, yep. yeah um but again the 70s and like 17 so I'm not going to you know, hold that against him. No. No, but I, I think that's a good conversation to have when you talk about media like this. Absolutely. So it's always and nice when that comes up. Once again, the sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheathed dagger. I really just wanted to keep reading that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to read it a couple more times or are you? Uh, just once more. The sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheathed dagger, but recoiled short of his intentions as Grigner's right arm swept to his gorge. The soldier <laughs> went <laughs> that's that's throat in this context, but <laughs> is it though? <laughs> his escape attempt includes giving the guard a handy. 
I mean, that would probably distract him. It's true. Get my attention. <laughs> the soldier went limp. It didn't work. His oh. bobbing eyes <laughs> rolling beneath fluttering eyes. Sorry, Rignir, you tried. This feels so intentional. A deep welt across his spouting gullet. Without lingering to observe the result of his efforts, Grigner dropped to his knees. <laughs> oh, wow, Grigner. Oh, oh, my. The second soldier's axe cleft over Grigner's head in a blaze of silvered ferocity, severing several scarlet locks from his scalp. Coming to rest in his fellow's stomach, the iron head crashed through mail and flesh with splintering force, filling a pool of crimsoned entrails over the granite paving. And Jim Thice really likes his, uh, it's not alliteration, alliteration is vowel sounds, but uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the word that... Consonants? Well, when you're, when you're doing consonants in a row, um, it's... Ah, damn it. I'll look it up later. Mm. Um, find out. But yeah, it's basically alliteration, but with consonant sounds, right. with hard sounds. You know... The S's here, um, severing scarlet locks from his scalp. He's, he's a big fan of that kind of thing. Alliteration, according to Google, alliteration happened when consonant sounds are repeated in two of our words. Oh, that's right. She that shells, she shells. Yeah, so you got it. Okay, yeah, it's... Uh, it's um... Shit, I just had it. Uh, when it's vowel sounds, it's... Uh... Alliteration. Google. No, no, no. That's when it's vowel sounds. There's another word for it. Um, something else. And I, it, it was just there, and it's gone again. Doesn't matter. Assonance. Uh, assonance. That is it. Uh, yes. Assonance. That's all As Google. That's that's not me pulling from any sort of knowledge. That's base. fine. That's fine. You've uh, you've saved me from embarrassment on a podcast. <laughs> too late for just the worst kind of embarrassing yeah i mean honestly this this everything we do here is embarrassing i, I think that should <laughs> sail for you coming to rest in his fellow's stomach the iron head crashed through mail and flesh with splintering force spilling a pool of crimson entrails over the granite paving before the sentry could wrench his axe free from his comrade's carcass he found grignier's massive hands clasped about his throat choking the life from his clamped lungs. With a zealous grunt, the accordion flexed his tightly corded biceps, forcing the grim-faced soldier to one knee. The sentry plunged his right fist into Grignir's face, digging his grimy nails into the barbarian's flesh. Ejaculating a curse through rasping teeth, Grignir surged <laughs> the bulk of his weight forward, oh my God. bowling the besieged soldier over upon his back. The sentry's arms collapsed to his thigh, shuddering convulsively, his bulging eyes staring blindly from a bloated, cherry-red face. Are you going to be okay? <laughs> you know, th that word does mean more than just one thing. It does. <laughs> it really does. Although, I, for that reason, I think it's fallen out of abuse yeah yeah absolutely and also contextually to what we were just talking about it mm. was the perfect word choice it's true uh, 
Rising to his feet, Grignir shook the blood from his eyes, ruffling his surly red mane as a brush fire swaying to the nighttime breeze. Stooping over the sprawled corpse of the first soldier, Grignir retrieved a small white object from a pool of congealing gore. Snorting a gusty billow of mirth, he once more concealed the tiny object beneath his loincloth, the tediously honed pelvis bone of the broken rodent. Don't, don't, don't sell yourself short, Grigner. I'm sure it's not that bad. <laughs> I mean, I know he... there wasn't a lot to do down there in the dark, but... Uh... What is he doing with this mouse bone? Like, what's his endgame? He's got, I mean... he killed the guards effortlessly. He's got their weapons, I assume. Yeah, I mean, now they're dead and there was an axe and a whole lot of armor. Yeah, although it, it might not fit his massive frame, so that could be... A... The armor could be an issue. Um, presumably the guards have keys to get in and out of the, the oubliette. One would think, yeah. Um, so yeah, like I don't know what he's trying to do with this mouse bone. I thought he was going to like shank a guard with it, but that didn't happen. Well, I think that's what he did in the... Uh, it, it, with Amongst all this detail, mm. the important detail that when he reached beneath his... Um, <laughs> loincloth, he actually grabbed the mouse bone, uh, or rat bone, rather, and used that to stab the guard in the throat. Yeah, I, I did miss um, that. Yeah, it, it doesn't actually say it. It just says, you know, again, he reached beneath his loincloth with his right hand, and then his right arm swept to the soldier's gorge. There's, there's no actual mention of the mm. bone until he picks it up later and sticks it back in his loincloth without apparently stopping to get the goddamn axe. Right. But we haven't finished yet, so um, who knows? Maybe he'll just mysteriously have it in the next in the next section. Yeah. Maybe or he kills maybe, a dragon with it. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's going to fight his way out of this entire whatever it is, palace or area with, uh, or mine or whatever the fuck with the pelvis bone, which I'm which, here for. Right. I mean, you're, you're just showing off at that point like, <laughs> when there are obvious lootable weapons and you're like, no, nah, I got this mouse bone. It's fine. Well, the thing is, that's just, you know, he didn't have proficiency in those uh, <laughs> specialized characters, man. You, uh, that's true. <laughs> Returning his attention toward the second soldier, Grigner turned to the task of attiring his limbs. To move about freely through the dim recesses of the castle would require the grotesque garb of its soldiery. So he is going to take their stuff. That's good. Yeah. Utilizing the silence and stealth acquired in the untamed climbs of his childhood, Grigner slinked through twisted corridors and winding stairways, lighting his way with the confiscated torch of his dispatched guardian. Knowing where his steps were leading to, Grigner meandered aimlessly in search of an exit from the chateau's dim confines. I think that's the first time he's actually like dangled a preposition like that. Not bad. Yeah. Um, he's learning to write in real time. <laughs> the wild blood coursing through his veins yearned for the undefiled freedom of the livid wilderness lands. Coming upon a fork in the passage he trekked, 
voices accompanied by clinking footfalls discerned to his sensitive ears from the left corridor. Wishing to avoid contact, Grigner veered to the right passageway. If aquested as to the purpose of his presence, his barbarous accent would reveal his identity, being that his attire was not that of the castle's mercenary troops. And he's suddenly become James Bond. <laughs> In grim silence, Grigner treaded down the dingly lit corridor, a stalking dingly. <laughs> cool. A stalking panther creeping warily along on padded feet. After an interminable period of wandering through the dull corridors, no gaps to break the monotony of the cold gray walls, Grignir espied a small winding stairway. Descending the flight of arced granite slabs to their posterior, Grignir was confronted by a short hallway leading to a tall arched wooden doorway. Really getting a lot of descriptions about the floor. <laughs> it's, um, I, I feel like Jim Thice would have really taken off in a career in like interior design. Sure. <laughs> Maybe in later life he wrote copy for like the Home Depot. I hope so. Yeah. Halting before the teeming portal portal. Grignir rests his shaggy head sideways against the barrier. Detecting no sounds from within, grasped the looped metal handle of the door, his arms surging with a tremendous effort of bulging muscles. Yet the door would not budge. Retrieving his axe from where he had sheathed it beneath his girdle. What? Okay. I was, yeah, I, I was just trying to make that work in my head. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh what? my god, his G-string is a bag of holding. Oh my god, it is. <laughs> he like needed a fucking it. Highlander. Yeah. He, he needed it for his massive... <laughs> rat bone. <laughs> massive rat bone would be a good name for an 80s metal band. That's awesome. You're welcome, internet. Yep. Retrieving his axe from where he had sheathed it beneath his girdle, he hefted it in his mighty hands with an appeased grunt, and wedging one of the blackened edges into the crack between the portal and its iron-rhymed sill. Axes aren't that heavy. I wasn't sure what crack he was going to wedge it into for a second. <laughs> Bracing his sandaled right foot against the roughly hewn wall, teeth tightly clenched, Grignir appelevered the oaken haft, employing it as a lever whereby to pry open the barrier. No. Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> if the ceiling is 20 feet up and it's a 10-foot shelf, you have 10 feet of space left. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. I love when writers use the first half of their sentence to describe what they then describe in the second half of their sentence. It's real good. That's my favorite thing. The leather-wound hilt bending to its utmost limits of endurance, the massive portal swung open with a grating of snapped latch and rusty iron hinges. Glancing about the dust-swirled room in the gloomily dancing glare of his flickering cresset, Grignir eyed evidences of the enclosure being nothing more than a forgotten storeroom. Miscellaneous articles required for the maintenance of a castle were piled in disorganized heaps, 
at infrequent intervals toward the wall opposite the barbarian's piercing stare. All that effort, and he broke into the broom closet. Utilizing <laughs> long, bounding strides, Grignir paced his way over to the mounds of supplies to discover if any articles of value were contained within their midst. I, you know, I, <clears throat> if, if another, like, okay, however many words we've expended from the beginning of chapter four to now, mm-hmm. or sorry, chapter five, I wonder what a competent writer could have conveyed with the same amount of words. Read any book. <laughs> <laughs> Detecting a faint clinking sound, Grigner sprawled to his left side with the speed of a striking cobra, landing harshly upon his back, torch and axe loudly clattering to the floor in a morass of sparks and flame. An elm-woven board leapt from collapsed flooring, clashing against the jagged flooring and spewing a shower of orange and yellow sparks over Grigner's startled face. Rising uneasily to his feet, the half-stunned accordion glared down at the gruesome arm of death he had unwittingly sprung. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking about a half-stunned accordion. <laughs> God damn it. And then there's a word that I, I genuinely don't know how to pronounce. And it's something that is apparently spoken. Spell it out. M- Do your best. M-R-I-F-K. Murfk? Rifk! Yeah. Uh, let's see what Google has to say about it. If not for his keen auditory organs and lightning-steeled reflexes, ears would have been groping through the shadowed hell pits of the Grim Reaper. He had unknowingly stumbled upon an ancient, long-forgotten booby trap. Who booby traps the broom closet? <laughs> yeah, what? Who... Oh my to, god. To what end? To inconvenience the janitor? <laughs> to keep the janitor on his toes. <laughs> no, Joe. Joe, this this is like this is like the the origination of like a a whole uh cult of of janitors that end <laughs> in, you know, the janit the, the badass janitors that could disarm bombs with their keys from trigger warning. Oh. It all makes sense. Same universe. He had unknowingly stumbled upon an ancient, long-forgotten booby trap, a mistake which would have stunted the perusal of longevity of one less agile. A mechanism, similar in type to that of a miniature catapult, was concealed beneath two collapsible sections of granite flooring. The arm of the device was four feet long, Boasting um, razor-like cleats at regular intervals along its face. What's the of? I'm, I'm kind of fuzzy about <laughs> the construction materials used in the flooring of, of this structure. Really shitty granite that can collapse if you step in the wrong place. Apparently. The arm of the device was four feet long, boasting razor-like cleats at regular intervals along its face, with which it was to skewer the luckless body of its would-be victim. Grigner had stepped upon a concealed catch which released a small metal latch beneath the two granite sections, causing them to fall inward, and thereby loose the spiked arm of death they precariously held in. And you see, now that would be death because the sharpness cuts skin, and the skin covers things like 
arteries, and arteries hold blood. And when that happens, and you lose a lot of blood, the human brain experiences this thing called death. And now we go into the <laughs> philosophies of what the human being thinks of death. <laughs> I, I just... This was a room that he literally had to pry open with yeah. a battle axe. Like, um, <sighs> although I had to come to kind of Jim's defense because this is a very true to life, you know, almost prophecy of what Dungeons and Dragons games were going to be like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's this is this is bad dungeon design, y'all. What's this room? It's locked. Okay, we're going to spend 20 minutes unlocking it. Failing like five checks to yeah. get it open. Only to um, find that after you've opened it, it's trapped and contains nothing of value. Yep. Uh Partially out of curiosity, and partially out of an inordinate fear of becoming a pincushion for a possible second trap, Brugnir plunged his torch into the exposed gap in the floor. The floor of a second chamber stood out seven feet below the glare. Tossing his torch through the aperture, Brugnir grasped the side of an adjoining tile, dropping down. I'm going to say that actually it's not an inordinate fear. Like, once you find that this shit room mm -hmm. is trying to kill you. Yeah. It's best to be cautious of any fucking any other room you go into. Yeah, like check True. the toilet before you mm -hmm. use it, man. <laughs> Glancing about the room, Grignir discovered that he had descended into the palace's mausoleum. Rectangular stone crypts cluttered the floor at evenly placed intervals. The tops of the enclosures were plated with thick layers of virgin gold while the sides were plated with white ivory, at one time sparkling, but now grown dingy through the passage of the rays of all-encompassing Mother Time. So not only is the, is the broom closet trapped, but if you happen to survive the trap, it leads directly into the treasure room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> only if you're willing to do some grave robbing, though. Which... You know, I'm assuming he is. Oh yeah, Grignir's into it. Featured at the head of each sarcophagus in tarnished silver was an expugnissively carved likeness of its rotting inhabitant. Not sure if real word. I would like to know how <laughs> Grignir knows what the inhabitants look like. Well, I mean, I assume that... It, that's if you see a sarcophagus and it has an image uh which is expugnissively carved, you can probably assume that it's the rotting inhabitant. Oh, that that's fair. However, Grignir is a dumb barbarian from the wilderness and or the mountains. Or the desert. Or the desert. It depends. Those wilderness desert mountains. Utah. He's from Utah. Uh -huh. A dingy atmosphere pervaded the air of the chamber, which sealed in the enclosure for an unknown period had grown thick and stale. Intermingling with the curdled currents was the repugnant stench of slowly moldering flesh, creeping ever slowly but surely through the minute cracks in the numerous vaults. Due to the embalming of the bodies, 
their flesh decayed at a much slower rate than is normal, yet the nauseous odor was nonetheless repellent. They poorly, poorly embalmed, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, if they're, yeah. yeah. Towering over Grignier's head was the trap he released. The mechanism of the miniaturized catapult was cluttered with mildew and cobwebs. Notwithstanding these relics of antiquity, its efficiency remained unimpinged. To the right of the trap wound a short stairway through a recess in the ceiling, a concealed entrance leading to the mausoleum for which the catapult had obviously been erected as a silent, relentless guardian. Climbing up the side of the device, Grignier set to the task of resetting its mechanism. In the event that a search was organized, it would prove well to leave no evidence of his presence open to wandering eyes. Besides, it might even serve to dwindle the size of an opposing force. Because, you know, never tell your own guards about the traps and, and the castle they guard. That's, yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. Descending from his perch, Grignier was startled by a faintly muffled scream of horrified desperation. His hair prickled yawkishly in disorganized clumps along his scalp, as a cold danced along the length of his spinal cord. No moral, mortal barrier, human or otherwise, was capable of arousing the numbing sensation of fear inside of Grignier's smoldering soul. However, he was overwrought by the forces of the barbarian's instinctive fear of the supernatural. His mighty thews had always served to adequately conquer any tangible foe, but the intangible was something distant and terrible. Dim, horrifying tales passed by word of mouth over glimmering campfires and skins of wine had more than once served the purpose of chilling the marrowed core of his sturdy-limbed bones. Yet the scream contained a strangely human quality, unlike that which Grignir imagined would come from the lungs of a demon or spirit, making Grignir take short, nervous strides advancing to the sarcophagus from which the sound was issuing. Clenching his teeth in an attempt to steal his jangled nerves, Grignir slid the engraved slab from the vault with a sharp rasp of grinding stone. Another long-drawn cry of terror infested anguish met the barbarian, scoring like the shrill piping of a demented banshee, piercing the inner fibers of his superstitious brain with primitive dread, dread and all. Stooping over to espy the tomb's contents, the glittering accordion's nostrils were singed by the scorching aroma of a moldering corpse, long shut up and fermenting. The same poop... <clears throat> moment, taking a drink here. Are you okay? <laughs> we're keeping that in. <laughs> Read the water? Oh, shit. Oh. Did you try to escape uh, this book by drowning yourself on land? Oh, God, hold on. <clears throat> Standing by. Yeah, you might want to pause the timer because I'm yeah, yeah. in a second here. Yeah. You know, that would actually be a pretty uh, <coughs> uh, interesting yeah. setup for a Lovecraftian story, like a, a, a man found dead, lungs full of water, like on land. Right, or even like a Sherlock Holmes style mystery story. Uh, Jesus, <clears throat> taking a minute. 
Okay, um, I'm <laughs> gonna go get a tissue and blow my nose. I'll be back in like just a few seconds. Cool. Yeah. Do you think? Stooping over to espy the tomb's contents, the glittering accordion's nostrils were singed by the scorching aroma of a moldering corpse, long shut up and fermenting, the same putrid scent which permeated the entire chamber, though multiplied to a much more concentrated dosage. The shriveled, leathery packet of crumbling bones and dried, flacking flesh offered no resistance, but remained in a fixed position of perpetual vigilance watching over its dim abode from hollow, gaping sockets. The tortured cries were not coming from the tomb, but from some hidden depth below. Pulling the reeking corpse from its resting place, Grignir tossed it to the floor in a broken, mangled heap. Upon one side of the crypt's bottom was attached a series of tiny hinges, while running parallel along the opposite side of a convex railing like protuberance, laid so as to appear as a part of the interior surface of the sarcophagus. Protuberance, by the way, is a terrible word that should be avoided wherever possible. Sure. Unless you're talking about Mrs. Butterworth and how much of a tragedy it is that we have been robbed of two protuberances worth of syrup for, (laughs) like, decades now. It's true. But we're not talking about that. It sounds like you really want to talk about it. (laughs) Dave is going to go off and start a whole new podcast. (laughs) Just to rant about consumer goods. (laughs) I'd listen. (laughs) Raising the slab upon its bronze hinges, long removed from the gaze of human eyes, Grignir perceived a scene which caused his blood to smolder, not unlike bubbling molten lava. What? Directly below him, a whimpering female lay stretched upon a smooth surface marble altar. A pack of gracie-faced shaman clustered around her in a tight, circular formation. How much space is there in that sarcophagus? (laughs) (laughs) It's like... It's like it's like the writer had had these two subplots about the the woman and the cultists, and then Grignir and the Oubliette, and just how do I get these two characters together? Right, he's going to go in the janitor's closet, and there's going to be a hole in the floor. He's going to climb down that. But that's not deep enough. There's going to be another hole. Yeah, and also I I take great issue with the fact that the Oubliette is mm-hmm. on an elevated place than a temple. I, I'm sorry, I thought oubliettes were supposed to be, like, Yeah, you're going down from the dungeon. Well, these are mines, right? Like, that, that, that was established, I think, in the first part, that he was no, being taken. No, like, unless I'm wrong, um, what they were going to do was they were going to stick him in the dungeon and let him, just put him in solitary confinement for a while to break him and then put him in the mines. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I don't think so. we've, I don't think we're in the mines. So yeah, there's uh it's, it's apparently this thing is a fucking TARDIS. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I can only assume. Directly below him, a whimpering female lay stretched upon a smooth surfaced marble altar. I can't not think of it now. A pack of gracie faced <laughs> shaman 
clustered around her in a tight circular formation. Crouched over the girl was a tall, pot-bellied priest, his face dominated by a disgusting, open-mouthed grimace of sadistic glee. Suspended from the acolyte's clenched right hand was a carven, oval-faced mallet, which he waved menacingly over the girl's shadowed face, an incoherent gibberish flowing from his grinning, thick-lipped mouth. In the face of the amorphous, broad-breasted... No, I'm sorry. <clears throat> In the face of the amorphous, broad-breeded female, stretched out alluringly before his gaping eyes, the universal whim of nature filling a Grit plea of being tortured. That's not alluring. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In approach. In approach. <laughs> <clears throat> it's like... Like, she, she was vomiting and bleeding out. Man, she's kind of hot. She's got kids out, though. It's great. They're, she's very broad-breeded. <laughs> Look at them big breeds. Or, or, or no, 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 no. I, I, I don't think that uh, that's supposed to be breasted. I think it's supposed to be breaded. She's from KFC. Oh, oh. She's a delicious appetizer. That's why she's alluring to Grignier. Right, right. <laughs> The universal whim of nature filling a plea of despair inside of his white-hot soul, Grignier acted in the only manner he could perceive. Giving vent to a hoarse, throat-rending battle cry, Grignier plunged into the midst of the startled shaman. I I, I was curious, just just real quick, was that that horse the animal, or horse as in horse? No, horse, H-O-A-R-S-E. Okay, I I didn't trust the writer to do it. Go on. (laughs) Grignir plunged into the midst of the startled shaman, torch simmering in his left hand and axe twirling in his right hand. A gaunt, skull-faced priest standing at the far side of the altar clutched desperately at his throat, coughing furiously in an attempt to catch his breath. Lurching helplessly to and fro, the acolyte pitched headlong against the gleaming base of a massive jade idol. Writhing agonizedly against the hideous image, Foam flecking his chalk-white lips, the priest struggled helplessly, the victim of an epileptic seizure. That, that's convenient. He just what? had a seizure for no... Was Grignir just so scary that his <laughs> his mind unraveled? What the no, fuck? No, he just got kicked between his testicles. Oh, did, that, did I miss that? No, no, this is the same scene. The same woman we, oh. where we started... Oh, it's that guy. Okay. Yeah. So this is now. The, I, uh, now I'm seeing how the web connects. I, I thought just the appearance of Grignir. No, no. I think uh, this is. Although you know, I'm a little confused because this is the same priest who previously was described as having long ape-like arms and hmm. a massive belly, I believe, and like I, I got lips. the impression of a very big person. But now he's gaunt, skull-faced, and yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I call into question uh, your interpretation, because the order of events, as just described, was um, Grignir releases a battle cry and charges, then the priest gets his, uh, his four nuts kicked, but in the previous description of this event... We uh the 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 lady never heard a battle cry. 
no, no. That's all happening after that. Like, if you remember, she had kicked him, and then they all converged on her and held her down, mm-hmm. and she was screaming. So Grigmir just the happens out to be in. Uh, okay, like this was at the point where he was falling into the uh, mm. mausoleum and heard her scry, heard her screams, and has. Like- now the, the, the growing so. kick initiated a seizure. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm assuming. Right. Like, he's still bent over having a, a real hard time with the icker dripping out of his balls or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, startled by the barbarian's stunning appearance, the chronic fit of their fellow, and the Feels fear like that Grignir might be the avant-garde <laughs> of a conquering force dedicated to the cause of destroying their degenerated cult, the Samen momentarily lost their composure. Giving vent to heedless pandemonium, the priests fell easy prey to Grignir's sweeping arc of crimsoned death and maiming destruction. The acolyte performing the sacrifice took a vicious blow to the stomach, hands clutching vitals and severed spinal cord as he sprawled over the altar. The disorganized priests lurched and staggered with split skulls, dismembered limbs, and spewing entrails before the enraged accordion's relentless onslaught. The howless of the maimed and dying reverberated against the walls of the tiny chamber. A chorus of hell fraught despair as the granite floor ran red with blood. The entire chamber was encompassed in the heat of raw savage butchery as Grignir luxuriated in the grips of a primitive, beastly bloodlust. Also, if the gran if the floor here is granite, that implies <laughs> that like this has been finished. So it's it's a temple that's been finished down below the mausoleum down below the dungeon, <laughs> um, which was not finished. Yeah. Yeah, the dungeon was was, basic, was a cave with cells. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's under this? I mean, oh, it just... Yeah. Huh. The, just, it just keeps going. The prince and god emperor lord's palace is actually underneath all of this. I hope so. <laughs> Presently, all went silent, save for the ebbing groans of the sinking shaman and Grignir's heaving breath, accompanied by several gusty curses. The well had run dry. No more lambs remained for the slaughter. The rampaging steed of death, having taken of Grignir for the moment, left the barbarian free to the exploitation of his other perusials. What? Don't, does that don't, sentence mean? don't do it, Grignir. Yeah, no, bad. Keep, keep those thoughts away, please. Towering over his head was the misshaped image of the cult's hideous deity, Argon. How do you know? Yeah, the, I mean, I, I... <clears throat> the fantastic size of the idol in consideration of its being of pure jade was enough to cause the senses of any man to stagger and reel. Yet, thus was not the case for the behemoth. He had paid only casual notice to this incredible fact, while riveting the whole of his attention upon the jewel protruding from the idol's soul socket, its masterfully cut faucets, emitting blinding rays of hypnotizing beauty. 
After How all. is Fawcett spelled in this instance? Just because I'm curious. F a u c e t s. Okay, so it dispenses. It dispenses drink. Yes, yes. It's a gym and sink. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> it's crying eyes. <sighs> After all, a man cannot slink from a heavily guarded palace while burdened down by the intense bulk of a squatting statue. Providing, of course, that the idol can even be hefted, which in fact was beyond the reaches of Grignir's coursing stamina. <clears throat> On the other hand, the jewel, gigantic as it was, would not present a hindrance of any mean concern. Help me, please. I can make it well worth your while. Oh, God. Oh God. Just, we just went immediately to that. Yeah. Like, like, the. the... <laughs> That's the first sentence out of this lady's mouth. The first thing she said. Why'd you have to call her a lady? (laughs) (sighs) I can make it well worth your while, pleaded a soft, anguish-strewn voice wafting over Grigner's shoulders as he plucked the dull red emerald from its roots. Turning, Grignir faced the female that had lured him into his bloodbath, but whom had become all but forgotten in the heat of the battle. You! ejaculated the accordion in a pleased tone. Oh. Well, that was... <laughs> What's that? That's pretty fair. <laughs> I mean, last time it was just a hug, so... <laughs> He's been in a pit for a while. <laughs> <laughs> the, rat, the rat couldn't do it for him. I thought that I had seen the last of you at the tavern, but verily I was mistaken. Grignir advanced into the grips of the female's entrancing stare, severing the golden chains that held her captive upon the altar's highly polished face of ornamental life. You don't make your fucking chains out of gold, idiots. (laughs) As Grignir lifted the girl from the altar, her arms wound dexterously about his neck, soft and smooth against his harsh exterior. Art thou pleased that we have chanced to meet once again? Grignir merely voiced a side grunt, returning the damsel's embrace while he smothered her trim, delicate lips between the coursing protrusions of his reeking maw. Now is not the time. Also, she probably still tastes like puke. Let us take leave of this wretched chamber, stated Grignir as he placed the female upon her feet. She swooned a moment, causing Grignir to give her her support, then regained her stance. Art thou able to find your way through the accursed passages of this castle? Rific! Every one of the corridors... Rific! M-R-I-F-K! Rific! Apparently it's an, like, expletive in... Whatever. Right. World building, I guess. <laughs> I looked. I looked it up. I know what that is. I'm not telling you guys until later. That's fine. Fair enough. Rific. Every one of the corridors of this damned place are identical. I. I was at one time a slave of Prince Agathem. His clammy touch sent a sour swill through my belly but my efforts reaped a harvest. I gained the pig's liking, whereby he allowed me the freedom of the palace. 
It was through this means that I eventually managed escape of the palace. It was a healthy view of women. You know, you know how this conversation could have gone. Let's get out of here. I, I, I don't know. I do. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, now we get to know that she was a. Also, their speech patterns have completely swapped from the beginning of the story. Like, when we met this character, she was the one that spoke in ridiculously out-of-place old English Jeez style. And, vows, yeah. and now she's speaking plain English, and he is using these and thous and whatnot. So, yeah, so. I, I don't know. Just thought I'd pull attention to that. Yeah, yeah. I gained the pig's liking, whereby he allowed me the freedom of the palace. It was through this means that I eventually managed escape of the palace. It was a simple matter to seduce the sentry at the western gate. His trust found him with a dagger thrust his ribs. The winch stated, whimsicorically. What? Whimsic what? Whimsicorically. <clears throat> that another portmanteau? I, it's, yeah, that's not a word. <laughs> what were you doing at the tavern whence I discovered you? asked Grignir as he lifted the female through the opening into the mausoleum. I had sought to lay low from the palace's guards as they conducted their search for me. The tavern was seldom frequented by the palace guards, and my identity was unknown to the common soldiers. It was through the disturbance that you caused that the palace guards were attracted to the tavern. I was dragged away Stop shortly me. after you were escorted to the palace. What are yeah, you called we... by, female? Yeah, because, you know, guards are never known in any story or any ever to go to the tavern when they're off duty. <clears throat> that doesn't happen. Yeah, weren't they actually off duty at the... Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I thought they were off duty when they were... I can't remember. Drunk or something. I, yeah. It doesn't matter. <sighs> what are you called by, female? Carthina, daughter of Mincardos, Duke of Barwigo whose lands border along the northwestern fringes of Gorzom. This lady paid... is is nobility? Or, and this is where she's at? Are you kidding me? She's, she's, yeah. Like, any mistreatment of this lady could result in open war. No, no, the, the next sentence has you covered. The next sentence has you covered. I was paid as homage to Agathim upon his 38th year husked the femme. So she was sold, because, you know, noble child, she was sold as a uh, bride to this prince, right. whatever. Usually um, you do that to, like, seal an alliance. Yeah, yeah. But now he owns her, so he can do whatever he wants, right? That's that's the implication there. Yeah. So, husk femme? Did I husk hear you correctly? the femme. Alright. And I am called a barbarian, grunted Grigner in a disgusted tone. I, the ways of our civilization are in many ways warped and distorted. But what is your calling, she queried, bustily. Yeah, that, that... <laughs> Grigner of Accordia. I'd, I'd like to also remind everyone that these two have already apparently, like, made love in the bar 
in the that, bar. Yeah. yeah. Now, now they're exchanging names. That's cool. You know. Yeah, it's fine. And, and also, you run into this. You, you run into this woman twice. You better get her name. It's, yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you remember? You guys remember that scene in Star Wars when Han Solo was running through the corridors and he came across, like, he, he was chasing those stormtroopers and he found like a battalion of them and he turned and he ran. And then while they were running, they like uh, he and Chewbacca just stopped and started going over each other's history. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was. Wait, wait, now that never happened. That was good. <laughs> Yeah, because that was good. That was a good story. <laughs> that maintained a sense of urgency. Ah, I have heard vaguely of Ecordia. It is the hill country to the far east of the Norgolian Empire. I have also heard Agafim curse your land more than once when his troops were routed in the unaccustomed mountains and gorges. Yeah, hilly, mountainous desert country. Yeah, with forests. <laughs> There's a surprising amount. This is a a realized world, though. Yeah, yeah. Shit. Aye, my people are not tarnished by petty luxuries and baubles. They remain fierce and unconquerable in their native climes. After reaching the hidden panel at the head of the stairway, Grigner was at a loss in regard to its operation. His fiercest heaves were as pebbles against the burnished armor. Athena depressed a small symbol included within the elaborate design upon the panel, whereupon it slowly slid into a cleft in the wall. How did you come to be a victim of those crazed shaman? Quested Grigner as he escorted Carthena through the piles of rummage on the left side of the trap. By Agafim's orders, I was thrust into a secluded cell to await his passing of sentence. By some means, the priests of Argon acquired a set of keys to the cell. They slew the guard placed over me and abducted me to the chamber in which you chanced to come upon the scostic sacrifice. Wait, so the the religious order operates independently of the ruling uh, family? Apparently, so. yeah. It's, a, it's an underground cult of Argon. Uh, in the right. basement of the dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> which is a sense I just said. Their hell-spawned cult demands a sacrifice once every three moons upon its full journey through the heavens. They were startled by your unannounced appearance through the fear that you had been sent by Agafin. The prince would surely have submitted them to the most ghastly of tortures if he had ever discovered their unfaithfulness to Sargon, his bastard deity. So the gods in this universe are Sargon and Argon. Yep. And All Argon right. needs someone to be killed in his name every three months. That's a hard ask for a secret cult. I'm just going to sure. go out and say it. Like, good God. Many of the partakers of the ritual were high nobles and high trustees <clears throat> of the inner palace. Agafim's pitiless wrath would have been unparalleled. So not only were they taking sacrifices, they were taking high-profile sacrifices. Well, no, hmm. they themselves were high nobles. So, yeah, the, the cult is the... Oh, oh I see. But, uh, but not the prince himself, because he is a you know, faithful ritual, or follower of Sargon. Not Argon. Not Argon. <laughs> no, fuck Argon. I feel Sargon like or nothing. 
<laughs> I feel like you could get those books confused and like not even notice like the holy books <laughs> of those religions. I, yeah, 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 yeah. They have no more to fear of Agathim now, bellowed Grigner in a deep, mirthful tome, a gleeful smirk upon his face. I have seen that they were delivered from his vengeance. Engrossed by Carthena's graceful stride and conversation, Grigner failed to take note of the footfalls rapidly approaching behind him. As he swung aside the arched portal linking the chamber with the corridors beyond, a maddened, blood-lusting screech reverberated from his eardrums, seemingly utilizing Wait, the speed of from thought. His eardrums? His eardrums are screaming? <laughs> 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 Seemingly, seemingly utilizing the speed of thought, Grigner swiveled to face his unknown foe. With gaping eyes and widened jaws, Grigner raised his axe above his surly mane, but he was too late. Chapter 7 With wobbling knees and swimming head, the priest that had lapsed into an epileptic seizure rose unsteadily to his feet. While enacting his choking fit in writhing agony, the shaman was overlooked by Grignir. The barbarian had mistaken the seizure for the death throes of the acolyte, allowing the priest to avoid his stinging blade. The sight that met the priest's inflamed eyes nearly served to sprawl him upon the floor once more. Sacrificial sat it grim, blood-splattered silence all around him, broken only by the occasional yelps and howlis of his maimed and butchered fellows. Above his head rose the hideous idol, empty socket holding the shaman's eye-furbished, infuriated gaze. His eyes turned to a stony glaze with the realization of the pillage and blasphemy. Due to his high susceptibility following the seizure, the priest was transformed into a raving maniac bent solely upon wreaking vengeance. With lips curled and quivering, a crust of foam dripping from them, the acolyte drew a long, wicked-looking, jewel-hilted scimitar from his silver girdle, fled through the aperture in the ceiling, uttering a faintly perceptible ceremonial gibberish. Chapter Seven and a Half A sweeping scimitar swung toward Grigner's head in a shadowed blur of motion. With axe raised over his head, Grigner prepared to parry the blow, while gaping wide-eyed in open-mouthed perplexity. Suddenly, a sharp snap resounded behind the frothing shaman. The scimitar, halfway through its fatal sweep, dropped from a quivering, nerveless hand, clattering harmlessly to the stone edge. Cutting his screech short with stone a bubbling, red-mouthed gurgle, the lacerated acolyte staggered under the pressure of the released springboard. After a moment of hopeless struggling, the shaman buckled, sprawling face down in a widening pool of blood and entrails, his regal purple robe blending enhancingly with the sw swirling streams of crimson. Rifk! I thought I had killed the last of those dogs, muttered Grigner in a half-apathetic state. Grigner's over it. Nay, Grigner, you doubtless grew careless while giving vent to your lusts. But not... But let us not tarry any long lest we overtax the fates. The paths leading to freedom will soon be barred. The wretch's cries must certainly have attracted unwanted attention, the wench mused. By what direction shall we pursue our flight? 
up that stair and down the corridor a short distance is the concealed entrance to a tunnel seldom used by others than the prince, and known to few others save the palace's royalty. It is used mainly by the prince when he wishes to take leave of the palace in secret. It is not always in the prince's best interest to leave his chateau in public view. Even while under heavy guard, he is often assaulted by hurtling stones and rotting fruits. The commoners have little love for him, lectured the nearer lady. I, <clears throat> I, just, just real quick, I, I, was, I was thinking over the, the use of Old English. Um... And and like, is is it really worth it to like put all that effort to to do that and have your audience at current day English, you know, not like a grapple with like it one. as it were? Yeah. Um, also, and, and, why is this chat? We could have ended the book and it would have been fine. <laughs> really, <laughs> uh, but I I thought about another example of you know, of media that uses old English and my favorite game series of all time, Dark Souls, sometimes you utilizes old English, although it's only with characters that are of like noble birth or or are from like a church. Sure. Right. sure. And, and, you know, and and there's an argument to be made for that. And, you know, um, I think it's fine to use that sort of linguistic flourish. Um, particularly if you want to set people apart to say, you know, for instance, they are noble or they are more educated, et cetera, et cetera. Part of um, the papacy, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you know, whatever, whatever you're trying to do with it. But it has to be consistent. Like, you can't suddenly <laughs> have your character not using that style of language anymore and the other mm. character who never did suddenly doing it or you run into some issues. It's, it's weird. It's confusing. Okay, so, uh, I, I need I need either of you guys to help me. What is a character that is known for speaking, like in any given story, like a character that is known for their their ability to to speak or public speaking or something of that nature? Um, Hamlet. Okay, imagine if Hamlet just just started like <laughs> speaking in the like just just mid sentence. Started speaking in the thickest Scottish accent. <laughs> right. No, no. Do you want better a Southern accent? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh hey, fun fact that I actually kind of know. Um, turns out that the accent of Elizabethan English, so Shakespeare's English, mm -hmm. would have sounded, it when spoken, very similar to the accent of the modern-day American Southerner mixed with a little bit of Irish. Really? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. That's huh. interesting. So next time you're, uh, you know, reading any kind of Shakespeare, just picture it being done by... An Irishman from southern United States. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, just, just boss hog reading Shakespeare. That's what I want people to, to take away from this. Or if that's a somewhat dated reference, because nobody knows who the Dukes of Hazard are anymore. Um, I don't know. Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> that's a good one. Just, Although just, that might be a dated reference, too. It could be. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm fucking dated. Who's a Southerner? 
Who speaks with a southern accent? Jesus. Matthew McConaughey. Ah, yes. Matthew McConaughey. Perfect example. I, I now want, you know, Matthew McConaughey to be in charge of reading, like, Macbeth. I mean, that would be kind of awesome. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I feel like he could do right by that. All right, all right, all right. Lay on, Macduff, and damned be he that first cries, hold enough. What was what was he in recently? Um, lots of things. Yeah, he's he's pretty he consistently getting work these days. Pretty prolific. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I have Argon. Got the. <laughs> A little bit left to go, guys. Um, there's, you know, still chapter seven and a half, if you all are interested in hearing that as well. Plus the brief lost ending. Uh, let us know. We'll make it happen for you. Yep. But um, otherwise, encourage you to check it out on your own. Read mm. through it. You know, we'll preserve a little bit of mystery for the end of the story for it's you. True, yeah. Um, do look at, if you can, um, I'll put the link in the description, the original hand mimeographed uh print of this story because the the illustrations are kind of a fun ride that they're they're great i mean they're crude they're they're i think probably drawn by the author um i hope so yeah yeah and you know he was again a kid a teenager Mm -hmm. not someone with uh a lot of experience but a lot of passion oh yeah and um uh, oh, this is this is a fun story. It is. It's not a good story. <laughs> and I I kind of wonder how much how much of this was informed by I mean obviously he was growing up reading you know Tolkien and Howard and mm-hmm. Lovecraft and all of the pulp authors, you know, probably some August Derleth and right. You know, who who else? Who the hell else knows? But um, yeah. which may have even informed like his over description. Yeah, yeah, because because those writers tend to indulge in that kind of thing as well. Yeah, I mean, pulp fiction is just full of that. It's mm-hmm. just full of that kind of purple prose, lurid writing. The you know tendency to use seventeen words when you could use three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get into arguments with people all over. I used to get into arguments. It's becoming more common of an opinion, but I'm a big fan of Lovecraft, but the man was an awful writer. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. I, in yeah, addition completely. to being an awful person in general, oh, yeah. Um, he just he wasn't very good at what he did. He was just imaginative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. Like his his language was terrible. I rolled my eyes <clears throat> every time that you know, he would like try to um describe something indescribable and he would just say it's indescribable and move on and like that that's it? Like you know, I'm gonna yeah. try? Like well, that's not even so much the part that I have an issue with because that was part of the uh you know, the horror of it. Like I'm not going to tell you what this looks like because it is literally indescribable and then your brain does the heavy lifting. That's actually kind of a good technique. Yeah, I I'm one of those people that 
I think the original Alien film was great because you didn't see the alien. Like, oh, yeah. You know, it, it, you, you never got to see the thing. It was terrifying because what the fuck is it? You catch small glimpses here and there, you know? Um, the best thing that ever happened to Spielberg was the fucking mechanical shark not working because it meant that they couldn't have that thing all over Jaws. And, you know, those few minutes when you do actually get to see it make it much more effective. I I, I don't want to see the monster. I want to be afraid of it. Once you see it, it's not scary anymore. Yeah. That's always been my opinion. So, mm-hmm. um, kind of why I feel like, uh, um, oh shit. Uh, I am not doing great with remembering names of things today. Uh, the movie about the, the A24 film not midsummer uh heredity hereditary hereditary yeah we still need to see that yeah hereditary is an amazing film i highly recommend it to everyone but i but i do feel like it breaks down just a little bit at the end because and i don't know how they could have done it any better maybe i just need to watch it again but it it goes from this we incredible. Could, we could get together and watch it online at some point. That'd be cool. Yeah, um, I, I, still, I still need to see it. Right on. Yeah, we can make that happen. But it just. It, I guess my point is, you know, in in terms of all of that, that it's better to give just a little. Um, let your yeah, audience once you've seen the monster or the yeah. I yeah. I actually have a personal phrase that I came up with to describe what you're getting at. Yeah, and I, I may have said this on the show already before, but uh, describe something too much and it belongs to the author. Describe something t- too little and it belongs to no one. Describe something just enough and it belongs to the reader. Yeah, nice. Definitely. That's good. I like that. Yeah. I think we're. I think that that's a good conclusion. Just to end on that note. Um. So yeah, if you like what you hear, um, please follow, uh, find us on social media. Send send the podcast a message and just say hey, and I'll probably engage with you unless you're weird and creep me out. Um. In which case, so, I'll probably engage with you. Sure. Fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, we got Facebook, we got the Instagram. Um, if you're a YouTube listener, don't forget to like and subscribe for more heaving bosom content from Brainworms. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Farewell. Any copyrighted content contained within this podcast used for purposes of review. Brainworms podcast is David Colmes, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. Editing and post-production by David Colmes. Are provided by Kane Magdalene. The theme music is HodgePod Number 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard, please support us on Patreon or Ko-Fi, or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app. 